Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. We have to remember that exercise in the way that we consume it, as it were now, is a new industry. I mean, the way that it was designed was around this idea of a 24-hour cycle. The idea that you get up every single day and you feel the same. For men, they have a 24-hour testosterone cycle, whereas for women, we have four phases to our menstrual cycle. And the estrogen throughout those four phases has a direct effect on our energy levels, on our sleep, on our metabolism, on our productivity, on our memory. And so we need to start to think about health and well-being from the perspective of a female experience because women's bodies are different to men's. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. And this show is about upgrading our mind, our energy and our understanding of how we can live life to our fullest potential. Over the next few weeks, I'm interviewing thought leaders, scientists, nutritionists and experts to share tips and tricks for how we can shed the old and step into the new. I hope you join me on the journey. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen me post one of my favorite milks, Hemp and Oat Milk by Good Hemp. It is not only delicious, but I am obsessed in all honesty. It's not only delicious, but the health benefits of hemp are phenomenal and growing hemp is safe for the planet too. Currently, over a quarter of greenhouse emissions come from food, which is extremely worrying for obvious reasons. Good Hemp are on a mission to reverse this though, because they believe all food and drink should be fully sustainable. They like to say, sow and grow more hemp for the planet, eat and drink more hemp for you because they believe you shouldn't have to compromise on either taste or health. Down at Good Hemp's farm in Devon, they make a whole load of different products from hemp, including plant-based hemp milks, as I just mentioned, protein powders, oils, and CBD, which you can order straight from their website to your door. So do check out this incredible company that is supporting the planet and our health. Head to goodhemp.com. And as mentioned, their oat and hemp milk is extremely good, along with many other products. Today's guest is someone I admire greatly. Amy Thompson is a tech founder, entrepreneur, author, and all-round wonder woman, and expert on all things hormone-related. 
It always amazes me how much we don't know about the fundamental mechanisms that go on inside our bodies every day, especially when they affect our mood, health and well-being so significantly. Thankfully, Amy has dedicated her life to helping us understand our hormones better. She has built an app, Moody, and just released her new brilliant book, Moody, a woman's 21st century hormone guide. I have noted practically every page of this book, and when I finished, I had one of those aha moments. This is the reason I am like I am. What is a favorite quote you like to return to often and why? So it's actually a Gloria Steinem quote. Dreaming is, after all, a form of planning. So the idea that our imagination is actually not just our imagination, it is actually all about how and what you want your future to be. Definitely my favorite quote. I absolutely love that. And more and more do I realize how our culture often prioritizes kind of science and numbers and doesn't celebrate the need for dreaming and just creativity and the imagination. So that couldn't have resonated more with me. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently? To try and not listen to what other people think and try and have your own perspectives. And I'm sure we can both relate to this. When you're <laughs> writing, you can't appease everyone. You are always going to write something which, you know, it's very important to write your truth, but also to write from a scientific standpoint. And there is always going to be people who like it and dislike it. And I realized that actually with all the praise and all the wonder, it's also really important to just remember what it is that and what is the motivation and the rationale for why you do things in the first place and come back to yourself in your own intentions and your own reality. Thank you for sharing something that I needed to hear. So thank you. How do you define happiness? <laughs> for me, happiness is hormonal. So happiness is obviously an emotion and an experience that we have. But the thing that was most profound in some of my research was the reality of understanding dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins, and actually some of the chemicals involved in happiness. And it's actually one of the consistent themes throughout the entire book is actually rather than thinking about hormones as being something that we need to control or we need to suppress, they're actually something that are very powerful in us unlocking happiness and being able to understand our patterns of happiness. So for me, happiness is hormonal. And this perfectly leads me on to dive into your brilliant book, Super Relatable. If you're thinking, oh, I really don't like science books, you don't have to be super into science to understand the science of this book. And it's so applied to our lives and loads of different elements of our lives from our sleep to our well-being to our menstrual cycle and all the rest of it. So what I find so crazy is we're not taught this in school. Exactly. And I think that's one of the major motivations behind writing the book over obviously the technology, because as we both know, starting with technology, you're kind of creating something that can be done and very much adapted to someone's experience. So the beauty of technology is it can be completely personalized to someone's day, life, you know, whatever they need it to be. 
Whereas the book is actually all the research that went into it and the realization that, you know, we know more about the Second World War, we know more about photosynthesis, we know more about things which happen in nature and politics than we do about our own bodies. And that fundamentally is challenging because we should all really be starting from a place of knowledge in terms of informing ourselves about the decisions we're making in life, whether that be relationships or even just around stress, which for me was one of the trigger points of really starting to understand more about hormones, realizing that there's an epidemic of stress and anxiety, obviously, in the world, and realizing that there are chemical responses and reactions happening inside our bodies that are happening over and above just our ability to stop being stressed there's a chemical response and actually we need to start to understand how to essentially remove those chemicals from your body through health and well-being practices it's not just about saying okay we have happiness and hormones that are associated and neurotransmitters associated to happiness but we also have chemical responses with all these other experiences and yet we're not given any information about it and so when people tell you to stop being stressed it's simply not as simple as that particularly when we're living in such sustained stress states um, and understanding why taking time to support your nervous system, taking time to actually change diet, change uh, routines is actually supportive of reducing the stress hormones that are essentially triggered a lot because of fight or flight responses that we're all continually between. So let's dive into that. What is the relationship between stress and hormones? The main thing is the response, the reason. I always think about the why with this in terms of the reason that we are responding to stress hormones is that we are designed to be adaptive to our environments, to understand and be alert. And essentially, when danger presents itself, our bodies have a very effective response, which is to be alert and produce adrenaline, cortisol, noradine. There's responses which are happening from your adrenal glands. And What's happening in a modern world where we're overstimulated with information, we're overstimulated with responses, we're continually being pulled between different dynamics, whether it be through friendships and relationships or work, we're overstimulating our stress responses. And so what's happening there is when your body is overproducing chemicals, it has a knock-on effect to all the other cycles. So every hormonal cycle in your body has a different balance and a different connection to each other. So you have your sleep cycle, your metabolism cycle, you have also your ability, your wake cycle. And so when you're overstimulated with the responses within your fight or flight, it essentially means that you're continually overproducing something which then has a knock-on effect to other things. So what's happening in our body within the kind of chemical balances, and from my experience was I didn't listen to the emotional or the physical symptoms of, of burnout, which were, for me, they were fatigue, crazy appetite, continually hungry, an inability. Actually, I was, the other challenge was my response was to go running all the time. So what I didn't realize was I was then putting myself under more stress because you're overproducing them more cortisol because high intensity exercise actually produces the adrenaline and the endorphins and all the things that we think are good for us. But when you're in a high stress state, that's not what you should be doing, you should be resting, reducing the amount of inflammation essentially in and around our overstimulation of these hormones. And so when that started to click in and I started to understand that the way my body worked was almost a symphony of all these different rhythms and these different cycles and chemicals, it made a lot more sense to me to then understand why routines and rituals around self-care, routines and rituals around our diet and, and actually the prescription of just exercise all the time isn't 
helping and particularly for women and what I then found was that because I wasn't listening my periods actually stopped fully and at that point I went to the doctor because there was something quite significant that I felt even though all the other things were fairly significant I'd ignored them and dismissed them because I felt like I wasn't understanding myself and I was not communicating really with myself and then my period stopping was a whole nother spectrum of information around what that could be and no one in that first year of going backwards and forwards between options told me it could be stress and till I got to a nutritionist and and a personal trainer who said there's there's potentially stress related and we need to change your exercise and actually we think that what's also not helping is the fact that you're doing high intensity exercise all the time and you're running all the time and you need to switch your exercise to start to actually do more low intensity to start to reduce your stress levels and that was completely transformative. Why do you think we have this you know maybe it is a cultural encouragement to turn to high intensity exercise when we're feeling so overwhelmed? Because that's what we're told to do by the structure and and we have to remember that exercise in the way that we consume it, as it were now, is a new industry. I mean, you know, this whole kind of boom of health and well-being was really only in the last 10 years in the way that we we operate in it, as in it's just part of the way that we exist now. And the way that it was designed was around this idea of a 24-hour cycle, the idea that you get up every single day and you feel the same. And what's also crazy about that is that's just not how women's bodies work. For men of a similar age, in terms of 25 to 35, they have a 24-hour testosterone cycle. Whereas for women, we have four phases to our menstrual cycle, which and the estrogen throughout those four phases has a direct effect on our energy levels, on our sleep, on our metabolism, on our productivity, on our memory. And so we're not designed around 24 hours. So not only was the industry designed around this idea of go, 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 get up, do the same thing every day, it was actually designed around a male experience, which is this 24-hour cycle and really it's only now that health tracking and obviously that's one of the reasons we started moody was we need to start to think about health and well-being from the perspective of a female experience because women's bodies are different to men's and we need to understand how we as female hormones around a menstrual cycle and for people who menstruate how can we actually start to understand wellness that's supportive of our endocrine system and therefore get the best out of it because the problem is if you're continually pushing yourself every day trying to achieve the same results you're not going to get there and and it's again comes back to a lot of where these trends come from as well in terms of professional athletes professional sports women use their cycles to train they have done for decades, but it's not been mainstream. It's not been talked about. And so now we need to start to make sure that when we're positioning people in this kind of you know athletic world, that they're also understanding the same information, the same science that athletes are, are understanding, which is our bodies simply don't work the same. And that was the other really important aspect of the technology, which was about saying, if we're going to understand everyday health and well-being and wellness that's supportive of our mental, physical health as women who menstruate, we need to understand the science. But then also for women who don't menstruate and also for people who are on contraceptive and don't menstruate, there's so many things that you can still track across emotional, physical changes, which can be supportive of information, which is about understanding cycles of sleep or understanding cycles, even mood and symptom cycles associated to certain medications that you're taking. 
So again, it was just saying, why doesn't this exist? Why has everything been designed around this male experience? And then you start to realize, oh, <laughs> it's partly because that's the way the world was designed. Yeah, I found it really interesting when I read in your book about the male bias in terms of research in hormonal tracking. What surprised you most about your research? And at what point has the research changed to be less male bias orientated? What's actually quite interesting about women's hormones from a kind of menstruation and a menopause perspective is actually there is a lot of clinical research associated to it because it's such an incredibly important financial industry. So for pharmaceuticals, the contraceptive is 33 billion plus. So the research is actually there around the information across the these cycles. It's just not shared with women to help them understand themselves. It's being used essentially to create pharmaceutical solutions, <laughs> um, which are incredible things. And I'm, I'm definitely not anti-pharma, but I think it's just really important that we start to unlock this science and knowledge and actually interesting when I went back towards some of that research I realized there's not as much about men's hormones from an emotional physical changes perspective across mm. lifetime and actually if we're thinking about this as from a mental health perspective it's crazy to think there's actually more information and more research from a mental health perspective around hormones connected to female experience rather than male so I think that not only is there this kind of bias of research and the societal bias, which we know is real and, and happening across the board, but also there's almost this opportunity now to very much unlock the knowledge and share the research more publicly. And that was what I found quite important about the book, because I realized it's all well and good that we build the app and you can track everyday health and well-being. But if we don't share the very science and the very research which is being held behind the scenes, it doesn't become as powerful and it doesn't change the experience that women can have on a much deeper and more profound level about why these things are okay to experience changes across your month, even productivity. And I was speaking with a, another friend who, who's a writer and she uses her four phases in terms of writing. So she doesn't try and come up with new ideas in the fourth phase, which is your luteal phase, which is just the week before your bleed, because she knows she's going to be more self-deprecating. She's going to change her opinions on things. She uses that time to just reflect and, and focus on the words she's already written to get the best out of herself. And actually, when we start to think about it like that, there's kind of superpowers of productivity inside your ability to understand that it's okay to change gear or do something that's more introverted in that phase because that's just the nature of how you're feeling but we're conditioned to think that every 24 hours we should be getting up and we should be feeling the same as the day before and if we're not we think there's something wrong with us and that's again incredibly problematic in terms of the way that you know society hasn't necessarily given us the information we need. That was one of the most powerful takeaways I got which was redefining what productivity is and actually knowing that kind of different rhythms can actually bring different talents and skills throughout the month which is such a nuanced point in a world where we are losing nuance. I would love really to go through the phases of the month because to be honest I was so embarrassed that I honestly didn't know any of this. Well this is why I wrote it because also there's so much stigma about the fact that we should somehow know this magically because, again, we, we should have learned it in school, but we didn't. So you have four phases um, based on the fact that you have a, a menstrual cycle or a bleed each month. Within that, you have your first phase, which is your bleed. So 
within your bleed, actually the misconception is that you are going to feel worse. So world says, oh, when women are on their period, they shouldn't be doing exams or they should be doing, you know, it's crazy. Actually, your bleed from the day it starts, that's when your estrogen begins to incline. So although there can be discomfort and the reality of bleeding can have other symptoms and, and moods associated, actually, and this is the more common experience is that within those five or however long your bleed phase is, those days you begin from the beginning towards the end. By the end of it, you're feeling a lot stronger and a lot better because your estrogen is inclining. So that incline continues into your follicular phase, which is towards your ovulation. So this is basically your estrogen is your kind of power up hormone. The way I describe it and think about it is very much your kind of extrovert character. So the ability for you to kind of show up very strong, you feel more confident, you tend to actually speak a lot faster. It's very much the kind of time where you start to feel into your strength and towards ovulation. And ovulation is obviously from a biological perspective, when you're looking to attract a mate, <laughs> that's when your, your skin, your hair, your eyes, everything just starts to glow. And in reality, what we're then able to do is kind of harness that and be the more productive aspects, be in the kind of more thinking spaces, you know, putting yourself into a space where you are coming up with new ideas. Whereas there is nothing bad about the second half of your cycle. It's just about understanding that there's a change. So you have estrogen incline towards ovulation. And then after ovulation, your estrogen begins to decline and your progesterone begins to incline. So this is actually a, a much nicer part where I feel a lot more rested. I feel a lot calmer. I'm not quite so scatty. In the first half of my cycle, often it's like I've had so many coffees because <laughs> I talk 100 miles an hour and I tend to be a lot more kind of scatty. In the second half, your progesterone being higher, which is moving towards your luteal, is when you essentially have more of what I describe your introverted personality. You might be a bit more antisocial. You tend to feel a little more sensitive, emotionally sensitive to your environments. Um, physically, your sensitivity is higher. So I would love to be one of these women who doesn't wax, but I do. And it's... <laughs> I, it's bizarre. I always think it's one of the most bizarre things we've developed as human beings is waxing the hair off the most sensitive parts of your body, but it's something I do. But I always know that that second half of my cycle, because my physical sensation is so much more intense, you just don't do it then because you're going to feel so much more pain then than you would if you do it before your ovulation. And so the understanding that your body is just more sensitive in this part. And so being able to be more kind, be more respectful of that, I prepare more for meetings. Things. I'm much more conscientious of the fact that I'm going to take criticism in a much more intense way. <laughs> and, you know, you just become more aware of the reality that these experiences, you, if you're not trying to have a 24 hour like for like experience, you start to be a lot kinder to yourself in understanding. And that was where the technology was really, really important for us to build was, you know, rather than focusing on ovulation or bleed, which is, you know, helpful information to have, and certainly something that's baked into it, actually understanding the kind of daily weather forecast of moods and symptom changes that can happen across your month. And therefore, the things that you can do to be best prepared and show up in the world to then be essentially the most optimal in, in how you behave because you're not going to change what you're doing you're not going to not have the meetings you're just not going to walk into the meeting thinking you're going to be the same person that you were two weeks ago and you just start to understand that there are fluctuations in how we operate and it also helps when you're you are in more stress states because you start to be much more aware of when stress might be even more of an impact particularly in those kind of more introverted parts of your cycle. 
Yeah, I found that actually knowing, you know, your biology and when you potentially are a bit more sensitive, it allows you to just have that extra kindness bringing to your different mindfulness rituals. And what I love about your app is you actually have digital rituals on the app alongside it telling you when you're in these phases, don't you? Yeah, because this was the thing that was really transformative for me in terms of stress was dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. These are neurotransmitters and hormones which are created by my body to combat stress. And at different points in the month, I need different things. And based on whether I'm in my luteal phase or whether I'm in my follicular phase, I'm going to want more high intensity or less high intensity and also the types of foods, the types of nutrition. And for me, it was just the fact that the nutritional information was actually really, 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 really powerful for me. And I just couldn't believe how expensive it was to access. It felt really like you had to have a personal nutritionist to to get access to it. And it felt like something that actually should just be more available at a much, much cheaper cost. So digitizing those experiences and those things means that you can make it a lot cheaper and therefore means that it can access a lot more people. That really was the other part of this was just democratizing where possible as much of this information so that people can simply use it where they need. On that food point, what kind of foods do you tend to eat at the beginning of your cycle compared to the end? So for me, the main, main thing is actually being able to understand that my body, the major thing for me actually is hydration. Um, With the reality that in the second half of your cycle, your body is actually essentially flushing out old hormones. So all the estrogen that went into your ovulation and being able to create the potential opportunity of life, you then have all of this kind of estrogen in your body. And actually what made a lot of sense was the reality that we're you know, told we should be drinking two liters of water a day. But actually in the second half of your cycle, drinking as much as physically possible, because that was where I was getting headaches, cramps, like the kind of symptoms and realizing why a lot of inflammation is is due to the fact that your body and your liver and your kidneys are detoxifying essentially through old hormones. So helping your body flush out. And it's the most annoying thing when people say this because it's really hard to drink water. And it's a very boring thing to say as well, but it <laughs> seems so obvious. But I remember someone saying it to me in terms of, if you are going to really understand how to kind of help your body in this detoxification process, especially after burnout, when your body is extra full of old hormones, including adrenaline and cortisol, flushing it out. And the reason you're drinking the water isn't just because you want to have glowy skin and like look great. It's almost this understanding of your body as a, as a sponge. And therefore, you know, the reality that you start to see the impact of that in in much more balanced mood, you know, reductions in in stress, reductions in, in inflammation. And then the other thing that I think is just kind of blew my mind originally was when we were looking at how and what are the kind of, again, intensity around exercise. And for me, I don't run and I don't do any high intensity exercise in the fourth phase of my cycle. I only do low intensity and like yoga. And even then it's just really long walks because my body just physically doesn't have the same level of energy to be able to effectively achieve goals or whatever it is, which then I feel guilty about. And that ability to understand and the effectiveness of exercise, therefore, on my body, I've never been more fit because actually I'm not pushing myself and therefore creating the blockers to 
my body's ability to be more optimal and, and metabolize at, at an effective rate. So yeah, that was the other thing was just knowing when to when not to do high intensity exercise. Oh, so many, so many nuggets to take. I'm just loving it. Body's like a sponge, flushing it out. <laughs> um, so I'd love to talk to you about the pill and contraceptive, because obviously that causes havoc with our hormones. Now, I heard something which could be completely wrong, but taking the pill actually reduces women's sex drive and potentially then their choice in men. So when we're on the pill, we end up maybe going for a man who's a bit more gentle, less alpha potentially. And then, you know, we could be then years into a relationship and then we come off the pill for whatever reason. And our sex drive then goes through the roof and suddenly we have a completely different sex drive match to our partners. Is that true or not? And what are your thoughts? So there is a lot of research going on in this space, but yes, essentially estrogen and progesterone, which are your two kind of major hormones associated to your ovarian cycle, fluctuations in your estrogen and progesterone affect sex drive in a huge way. In fact, it's one of the things that I found most fascinating was I, in my experience of dating, I would realize that I would yearn for like partners at certain points of my month because I felt more vulnerable because my progesterone was higher. And actually sex at that point of your cycle, your bonding hormones, your intimacy, you kind of bond in a much more different way in a much closer way actually at certain points when your progesterone is higher and your estrogen is lower. So again, there is always the caveat that different women experience different things. But for me, in my experience, when my progesterone is higher, I tend to kind of feel more sensitive and feel more kind of maybe the word, I don't want to use the word needy, but that to me in my experience feels like that. And I'm so much more conscientious about it. But when we are dependent on the pill that you're on, it will affect your levels of estrogen and your levels of progesterone. In some instances, essentially tricking your body into, into thinking that it's pregnant, right? So rising progesterone and, and lower estrogen. So again, each pill is slightly different. And I do go into each one in the book and kind of explain some of the components of them. But the thing that's crazy about that is absolutely that would make, be so logical. So when we talk about what is fact and what is researched and then what is just logic, I have to be really caveating this in the sense that what's really frustrating in a lot of these spaces is there's not enough research really into the, the direct correlations. And what we need to do more of is actually clinical proving out these realities. But it's very logical and from a, a logical hypothesis perspective to think that when you have something that's affecting your estrogen, your progesterone, and when your estrogen is essentially being suppressed, that it would have a direct impact on your sex drive because estrogen historically um, is connected to higher sex drive. And for me, it was 100% correlated in my experience, my entire functions of relationships, my, you know, now my understanding of my sex drive associated to my cycle as well has been incredibly profound, not just in terms of my sex drive is so much higher in the first two halves of my cycle. And therefore, I know I'm going to enjoy sex much more. But also in the second half of my cycle, my sensitivity is so much higher. So where we talked about before, where we were talking about not getting a wax, <laughs> 
but sex in the second half of my cycle is so much better because my sensitivity and my body's ability to respond is is so much higher so it's again why people talk about you know having sex on your period can often be you know a really amazing experience because of sensitivity so if we think about this in terms of the different points of your cycle connected to phases but then we also think about sex from the perspective of what it does to your body in terms of releases of dopamine oxytocin serotonin and endorphins it's it's one of the most powerful drugs right and that's why actually when you look at it from the perspective of removing sex as something just with a partner and thinking about it and also including masturbation it's so important as also from a mental health perspective to understand that one of the quickest ways to access your happy hormones which is dopamine oxytocin serotonin endorphins is masturbation so we've got this whole kind of shrouded you know reality around sex but for women this reality of these barriers of we're taking contraceptive, which is disrupting our hormones and not just affecting our sex drive, but affecting metabolism, sleep, physical symptoms, which are obviously hormonal connected to skin, connected to all the things which are reactive. And, and some women have an amazing time on the contraceptive and it's great for them. And that's, that's incredible. But it is important to understand that it has and does change certain aspects of your mental physical experience. And therefore, if something doesn't feel right, listen to yourself and know that it's not right. So I can't wait to ask you this. What happens to our hormones when we fall in love? What is the brain in love? And was Shakespeare correct in thinking that we just completely lose control? Yeah, I wouldn't say lose control, but it's a huge chemical overload, right? It's interesting that we talk about the honeymoon period of the three months as, you know, when your brain and your body is adjusting to this new, highly stimulated experience and all these different things that are going on, all those dopamine, which is dopamine is your reward hormone, right? So that's when do it again. That's what your brain and body is telling you. And then you have oxytocin, which is your bonding hormone. So that's when you're getting connected to somebody. And although we also say you mothers get it from birth, we get it from partners and we can even get it from ourselves. But the power of love is that oxytocin is a very, very important component. You're bonding very physically. And also most people having quite a lot of sex in that first three months as well. <laughs> and then serotonin. So you have, you know, the, the happiness experience and that kind of rush. And then endorphins as well, which is the kind of, you know, the thing we all know from exercise, but the other thing that you get from falling in love. So this kind of reality that every experience is new, everything that you're, every touch, every moment, you're learning so many things. Your brain and your body is essentially in, in overdrive from a neurotransmitter and a, a hormonal perspective. And so with DOSE, which is the acronym we use for describing kind of your happy hormones, it's a very, very powerful thing. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean you make always the best decision because you're essentially quite high on your own supply. <laughs> so... <laughs> In that respect, I don't know whether I would say lose control because I think every person is different with how they react and every relationship is different in terms of falling in love. But I think we can all pretty much agree that it feels really, really nice. And the reason it feels really, really nice is you're getting lots and lots and lots of all of the good experiences and hormones inside you. And especially with throwing sex and lots of sex in the mix. It's an overload of happy hormones. <laughs> You're getting a higher dose, that's for sure. That's really, um, really interesting. What do you wish mums knew about hormones and the pregnancy experience and postpartum experience? This is a really important one. And again, although I'm talking from my co-founder's experience, and actually one of the reasons she got involved um, early doors in Moody was that she experienced incredibly 
traumatic hormonal postpartum um, issues around thyroid. So often when you're going through pregnancy, your hormones are changing and, and women are tracking that. But what happens post the baby is that, again, your chemical balances and everything is changing with the development of the baby. And often what we do is we kind of leave women just with that point of, oh, your baby is now a melon or whatever the fruit association is at that point. But actually, if we're thinking about how women feel, just having no understanding of not just the depression that also ensues with those experiences, but no understanding that these things can happen and a conversation about the changes in moods and symptoms that can be associated. It's often categorized from the perspective of being postnatal depressions, but actually also being able to say to your doctor, you know, I think there's something hormonally wrong. It's really important that this conversation happens more. It's really important that we start to be able to articulate and track our moods and symptom changes. So it's one of the reasons that we we centralize mood and symptom tracking in, in the technology is if you are feeling something that doesn't feel right, tracking it and then going to your doctor and being able to say, I've been tracking this low mood, I've been tracking this, you know, symptom associated to either the pregnancy or just my daily life. And I know that it's happening on a regular occurrence. If they say they've looked at your tracking data and they say, okay, actually, this might be something else, at least you're going armed with the information. Because one of the most traumatic things, going to the doctor and, and them saying, well, go away and track it, um, keep a paper diary of how you're feeling. And there's nothing worse at that point than realizing that you need, you want help then and there. And again, allowing women to feel more confident in asking the questions and not dismissing their experiences because it's it's really very, very important to be able to go to a doctor at that point. So do you encourage someone to, if they aren't tracking their um, hormonal cycles currently on your app, is actually getting pregnant a great reason to start collecting this data for the reasons you just outlined? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the main thing is just being able to understand that you as a woman, yes, you can track the baby's development, but you should also be tracking your own mental health experience and your own experiences through these cycles. Um, the same for menopause as well. You know, the reality of understanding for you, what are the symptoms and moods that feel different to before? You know, the reality is our brains and our bodies are very effective at forgetting pain and forgetting things. <laughs> so having something that from a technology standpoint helps you log and helps you journal and keep track of the moods and symptoms that are fluctuating means exactly as you say, you can, you know, keep track and be interested just for personal reference as in what's happening, what are the changes that are happening across the different trimesters or all the experiences that I'm having, or also being able to say, oh no, there's definitely something that this negative experience, this negative mood is really not changing. I really need to go and speak to somebody about this and not going into that consultation with whoever your expert is you choose to go to and not feel prepared or armed with the information. Because the first thing they're going to ask you is how often you're experiencing your symptoms and how frequently has that been happening and for how long? And if you don't have the information, it can be very disarming. Really, really, really great advice. So you write about metabolic cycles in the book. Can you explain these and how this relates to our hormones? Yeah, so metabolism as anything is a rhythm. And actually, you know, what I talk about in the book is metabolism is about extracting energy from food. <laughs> so your, your metabolic cycle is about what you put into your body is being metabolized to extract energy to be able to allow your body to work effectively. If your body is not metabolizing food effectively, then you are not extracting the energy that you need 
to work and live and exist. Or if you're having foods that don't support your metabolic cycle in terms of they are high in saturates or they don't have enough nutritional value, your body isn't able to extract the nutrients and the support that it needs to be able to have effective cycles, have effective sleep, be able to process. I mean, you're an engine. And so when we think about metabolism and the kind of cycle associated, we should be thinking about energy cycles and actually being able to listen and learn that if we are feeling low energy and you are not sleeping well, it's really important to make sure that you're thinking about the foods, the experience in your day, when you're eating, the rhythms around your eating, are you always hungry? Because the other thing that's really indicative of issues is appetite. So there are two hormones associated to appetite, which is leptin and ghrelin. And we should be knowing when we're full and feeling hungry. And when we're hungry, we should be eating. But if we're continually in these kind of, you know, experiences of fad diets or, or, you know, in and out of misinformation, then we're not listening to our body's ability to extract energy at the right points, because when you're hungry, your body needs energy. Now, we've probably touched upon, honestly, 3% of this book. And as you can tell, the way that she speaks is similar to the way that you write. So thank you so much for writing such a brilliant book. Where is the best place to find you to ask questions? And where's the best place to find this book? And of course, I'll put everything in the show notes. The book can be bought anywhere where you buy your books. Um, It's currently available in the UK and will be out in the US later in this year or early next year. But you can still buy it from all of the places in the UK where you buy books and Amazon, of course. And then in terms of me, so Moody Month, which is our um, web platform. So we have our Instagram channel, which is all about hormones and the app, um, which is available both on Android and iOS. So the best way to apply the science, certainly for women, and, and I hope that the app helps also in just making the accessibility of the information in the book easy to apply in life, because that's the other thing that I wanted to make sure was available was, yes, it's great to have the science and the information and the research that went into it, but it's also helpful to have a tool that just makes it easy to apply. Thank you so much. I'll put that all in the show notes. You've just been a brilliant guest. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.